you haven't been with us before, if it's been a little while, um, you're wondering, hey, why only a couple songs? We, we do save the bulk um, of our worship or song for after the sermon. Um, we want to make sure that we don't view music and singing as a means to, to gear us up to make it through a sermon. Um, instead, that we see that where the Lord most clearly, through His Spirit, speaks and, and ministers to us is through His Word. And then we want to worship in response to what God has revealed about Himself through His Word to us um, as we sing and respond um, afterwards. Um, if you have a Bible or some electronic device, you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 14. We've been working our way through Luke now for most of 2022, and it's going to carry us into 2023 as we kind of look at it chapter by chapter. Um, remember last week, we, in, as we finished chapter 13, we had this kind of prophetic warning from Jesus, right, where he is telling them that, listen, if, if you don't respond, if you don't repent, your ethnicity is not going to save you, right? That you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in, and you're going to see Abraham and, and the church um, fathers, the patriarchs, having this meal that's been promised even from Isaiah, right, this joyous meal, and you think you're a part of it simply because you were born um, a Jew. He's going to say, you're, you're going to find that if you don't trust me, if you don't repent, if you don't follow me, you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in. But the mill is going to happen, and he's, I'm going to bring people from the north and the south and the east and the west. Like it's going to be a full mill. And those who have felt like they were far off or removed from it are actually going to be there. And you who are near and have the opportunity, don't miss this. Don't miss it. And he says, because narrow is the door. Because the door is simply Jesus. And he's saying, so you've got the only way in is through Him. And then he gives us that beautiful imagery, right, of the mother hen, right, and, and, and saying, my, my character, right, is to bring you in for you to feel safe and secure, belonging and cared for, right, as, I, as, you, as you're nestled up with me. And I've, I've wept over you, right? He's lamenting over Jerusalem. So we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 14 on the hills of that. And let's look at verse 1. And one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will shame take, take you to the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sits at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Alright, as we look at this story here, right, we have kind of a strange meal set up. And in this culture, meals were often an opportunity to kind of advertise and to build on your reputation 
and status in the community, right? And so you're going to invite those who at a minimum um, are on the same status level as you, and anybody who you can get that's above you, right, that you can kind of honor or flatter, that will then elevate your status, you're going to do it, right? And so we have a Sabbath meal. Jesus has, has been teaching. Now we hear he is in the home of, of a, a Pharisee leader, right? And they're having this meal where they would have brought, right, the, the socially, the religiously elite at this point. And Jesus, as he's traveling through, has been brought in as well. So the thing that we're supposed to note that's odd is that there's also then someone there who's ill. Someone with dropsy, right? Dropsy is a, an old-fashioned term. It, you're, you probably know it more now as edema, right? It's, it's when your body um, is retaining significant amounts of fluid, right? And they're swelling. It's a secondary condition, typically. Um, not a primary condition, so it might be a side effect of congestive heart failure, or it might be a kidney issue, right? And, and yet, in this day and age, right, when someone's retaining fluid, it was often seen as, as a sign of direct judgment from God because of your uncleanliness, right, or sin. It was a way to get your attention. And so, for a Pharisee to have said, hey, we're going to have this meal, we're inviting Jesus in, and we're going to make sure that there's someone here who's sick, doesn't make sense, right? There's more at play, like what is happening here? Now, we've seen a couple of Sabbath healings already, right, where Jesus has pressed back and said, hey, your interpretation of the law is off, right? You've misunderstood what the Sabbath is and what it's meant for. And so now the Pharisees have been, have been pressed back on in multiple Sabbath meals and meetings, and now they've had some time to, to think and to consider, and they've set a trap, right? That, that's really what they've done. If you remember in chapter 11, verse uh, 53, this is as he, meaning Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so the, the, the opposition, right? It is an intentional goal to provoke, to trap, to set him up. Right? Like that is, there is significant tension. And so, here we are, right? They've set a trap. And what's interesting is that Jesus is continuing to willingly meet with them, knowing the opposition. Right? Why? Because he's desirous that they would repent. That they would respond to the warnings that we've seen. Right? The response of, right now you think you're on the inside, you're not, you're on the outside. And the door that's to salvation, the door to this mill that you long for, the, the door to God, the door to eternity, is not your tradition. Right? It's not your religious systems. It's me. It's Jesus. Right? He's saying it's, it's me and I'm going to continue to meet with you, continue to do this, because I want you to repent. I want you to respond. Have you changed your mind? You remember earlier in Luke, as we began, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 53, or sorry, I'm going to begin in verse 51. I want you to listen to Mary's song here. He's shown strength with His arm. And he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Right? We know the Pharisees here, right? The thoughts of their hearts are to trap Jesus. 
But he's already said he's going to scatter the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Church, we're seeing these moments play out in these dinners with the Pharisees, right? where Jesus is, is there saying, I'm not here to shame you, I'm here for you to repent and to respond. Would you do that? And instead, right, their, their thoughts are proud, and they believe that they're superior and that they're significant here. And yet, Luke continues to give us these scenes so that we would check the pride of our own hearts in believing that we believe or belong to something that maybe we're on the outside of ourselves. And so Jesus is sitting there, and, and ultimately what's happened? These Pharisees and the religious leaders are using this man as a prop. They brought him to a meal that he would not normally have been invited to or welcomed at. Whether he's uh, aware of that or not, most likely he is, but he's a pawn, and he's been set here in front of Jesus. And you can almost imagine, right, the thoughts um, and, and maybe even the kind of sly grins on the, on the side of someone's face, right, as they're like, what's he going to do? We got him now, right? And they're, they're waiting to catch, to trap Jesus. And what is he telling them? He's like, you're missing the point of the Sabbath. Like what is what is salvation for? What is Sabbath for? It's for you to understand God rightly. Then he's not a harsh taskmaster going, more, produce more, produce more, do more, get more. What do you like? He's saying, I want you to rest. Why? Because I want you to be reminded that I'm in control, that I'm good, and that I'm sovereign, and that you can rest in me. You're not God. You can go to sleep. You can take a day off. You can take time off. He's reminding them that He's the Lord of the universe and we're not. And that we can rest in and trust that. That we can see Him rightly and see His character. And in Deuteronomy 22.4, right, they were the, the law allowed, listen, if an ox or if some of your livestock has fallen off in the ditch or in a hole, and it's the Sabbath, you can rescue it. Like, right, it, it, it's common sense. Right? And, and so a lot of the Sabbath work um, rules were all about if it doesn't have to be done today and it can be put off to tomorrow, you should. Right? Like that was the, the ultimate goal. Of like if you don't have to do it today, let's do it tomorrow. And so what are the Pharisees saying to this man with dropsy? Hey, we're going to put you in front of Jesus, one who can heal you, but we're going to say it doesn't matter if it happens today. You're suffering, but that doesn't matter. You're hurting, that doesn't matter. We can put that off and we're going to use you as a trap. And we see Jesus here scatter their thoughts of, of the proud. And he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remain silent. Right? They, they're like, oh, this, this might not go well for us. Because if we say it is lawful, then our traditions have been run up against and we're going to have to answer for it. If we say it's not lawful, we're going to be seen as not passionate. And so they remain silent. And so he t in verse 4, he takes the man and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on the Sabbath, they would not immediately pull it out? They could not respond to these things. He's saying, like, you care more for animals than this person. Like, do you, can you in your silence now reflect and see that God is at work? 
that I am the narrow door. Right? It's not your traditions, it's me. Can you, can you see that? Can you grasp it? Would the, even in this moment, would you be humbled and respond and repent to me? And so then he continues. Look at verse 7. So now he told them a parable. Remember, a parable is a, is a story with intent, right? Um, to those who are invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Now listen, because it's a parable, we need to be careful here. Um, it, as you read it, he is not teaching reverse psychology of, hey, go and humble yourselves and sit in a low seat and maybe you'll get an, a seat of honor. He's not teaching reverse psychology here, right? And he's not teaching them social gaming Right, as to how to make sure you get honor and you're perceived correctly. He's using a story to bring a point about humility. And this, this idea that he's teaching on, we see throughout Scripture. I'm going to read you one place. This is 1 Peter 5, um, verse 5. And he says in the, in, in the second half of verse 5, I want you to be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you. Right? This is the same idea from Proverbs 3, verses 34, um, from James 4, verse 6, right? So he's, he's taking us now to the scene that we just saw, and He's saying, who was humble in this scene, and who was proud? And he says, listen, when you're proud, God is going to right, deal with that. But in your humility, he might, He's going to exalt you. Right? He's going to exalt you. So, to the leaders, how did they see themselves? It was evident how they saw themselves. They thought they were superior. And so they set this scene where they thought they could trap Jesus. They're using other people as props for themselves. Right? Like this is... It's wicked, and it's arrogant, and it's prideful. We see that, that they think of themselves as superior. Right? They wanted to impress. They want to gain approval in this world and in this kingdom. And what Jesus is here to say is, He's like, this isn't my kingdom. I'm bringing my kingdom. And so there's a reversal happening. That the way that you've navigated and lived in this world is not the way you're going to navigate and live in the kingdom of God. I'm flipping it on its head. Right? It's going to look different. And so it's not going to be about building right, your own approval and gaining these things. It's actually going to look more like humility and then God exalts. It's going to look different. And so, before we're too hard on the Pharisees and the religious leaders here, we need to be reminded that our culture right, is really driven by right, acclaim as well. If we think about all of social media, Right? What you're looking for followers, you're looking for likes, you're looking for traffic, right? Like you're looking to draw attention to yourself. Now listen, there's there is good in social media as a way to keep up with people. There, we're not going to just rail on social media. But at the heart of social media, the heart of our culture, right, as we think about commercials, as we think about social media, all of it is to what? To draw attention to self. So that I can, maybe even in a humble bragging way show myself to be superior to you, right? So that you will then affirm my superiority by following or liking or telling someone else that they should follow or like or share this. 
Right? Like it's meant to draw attention to ourselves. We say we see this even in our desire then to cancel people. Right? They're saying, oh, we're, we're going to remove social credit from you. A voice from you because we don't like what you're saying, right? And so the whole thing is set up on, are you a voice we listen to or a voice we don't? How do we know that? Because if people follow you or not. If they affirm you or not. If they share you, like you, follow you or not. And so although we can look at the Pharisees here and say, hey, man, you're only inviting people who make you look better, that's messed up. And then we look at our culture. And we see that we do the very same thing. That we tend to look for those who can bring influence or impact. Right? That can bring us along and make us be viewed differently or better. What is Jesus saying? Not just to the Pharisees here, but to us. My kingdom looks different. It's going to be driven by humility, not by pride, not by arrogance, not by seeking self and and elevating self. I'm going to call you to live against the flow, against the culture. My kingdom has different values. And it's as difficult as it would have been for the Pharisees, it's as difficult for us. Because the culture is shoving us, pushing us in a direction. And the desire to turn and to walk against that is not easy. And there's a second danger here. Not just in the difficulty of living counterculturally, it's that, it's that there's actually competing cultures that don't honor Jesus. One that looks really immoral, and then one that seeks to be really moral apart from Jesus. And just they, they fight at each other and say, look, we're not you. And we say, yeah, we're not you. And neither honor Jesus. And our politics tend to jump into one stream or the other. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's a different way. And it's countercultural to any culture in this world. It's my way. It's my kingdom. And it doesn't look like it makes sense on paper, but God will exalt. I want you to listen to this. This is from Philippians chapter 2. The humility of Jesus. I want you to consider what we've seen even of Jesus so far in Luke. Right? Like that He has come to serve. Right, John tells us right how he washed. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. How he's coming and he's touching those who are sick and diseased and bringing healing. How he's around corpses and is bringing life. Like that he is not living as one going, "Look how great I am. Make sure you know me. Elevate me." He's coming to serve and to love, to seek and to save. And so Paul will write this in Philippians chapter two. To the church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is not what our culture teaches us. But let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Church, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so listen, we are in the season of Advent celebrating that Jesus came humbly. Right? And part of that humility was that He became like us. And He went to the cross, a shameful death, and died the death that we deserve and beat our enemies and walked out of the grave. Right? And so when He returns, it will not be in, in humility any longer. It will be in exaltation that God will have held Him up and said, every knee will bow at His name. And there will be a day where our knees will bow. And they will either bow in allegiance as we recognize our King who has come for us a second time, or they will bow in fear going, we've missed Him. But every knee will bow because God will have exalted Him before us. But in the moment, what we're seeing is the humility of Jesus to come in the first place. The church, it means we need humility to have this mindset. Because to serve others takes humility. Because what, what does the enemy whisper to us? You deserve to be served. You deserve it. Why aren't they taking care of you? Why aren't they seeing how good you are? Why aren't they seeing how great you are? Don't they know your ideas? You're really sm- like all those whispers going, right. Why not me? Because we have the mind of Jesus. We're empowered and equipped by the Spirit to serve because the kingdom of this world is not the kingdom of God. And that Jesus sees and honors those who are humble, who serve, and they will be exalted. Are we seeing ourselves rightly? And in seeing ourselves rightly, it means we hold some some twin tension, right? That we are we're both desperate and needy, unable to save ourselves, and we are redeemed, adopted sons and daughters of the King. Both of those things are true. And if we elevate one over the other, we can get some wacky theology. Right? We need both. That we were unable to save ourselves, and yet we are saved people by the grace of God. We were not belonging. We were rebels opposed to God, and now we belong to His table, feasting with Him. Right? Both of these aspects are true. So are we seeing ourselves rightly? Because if we see ourselves rightly, it's not so hard to be humble. Because we were in desperate, desperate straits in Jesus' sake. Because He was humble. He's bringing our attention to the opposite, to the reversal, to, to the kingdom looking different than we would have anticipated. And I want to hit on real quick one other danger in this passage. Right? Especially if we take Jesus' story to be some sort of reverse psychology where He says, so listen, um, go and sit at the loaf seat, right? The, the, the seat not of honor so that the, the host might see you and draw you and bring you up and everyone will honor you. There is the opportunity here for false humility. Where we can appear humble and gracious in our serving and in our attitude and in our, oh, not me, not me, knowing all the while that we will be exalted by those around us. And so we do it. right? We, we do the, the low thing knowing that the, the church will go, oh, you're so humble, and exalt us. How do I know that this is a risk and a threat? Because that's how I lived much of my early years in Jesus. Knowing, I don't, I don't want to be bold. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be prideful. But I've noticed that when, I, when I'm humble, people tend to applaud that. 
And my heart was wicked, and it twisted that. And it made me believe that that was about me. And so then what happens when you're serving for that motivation and that doesn't occur? It's ugly. Because it was always about you and it wasn't about Jesus. And so we can do this in ostentatious ways like the Pharisees, just believing we're better, and I'm going to let you know I'm better. Or we can do this in humble ways. Believing, right, that that will gain us exaltation. But neither of those are actually pointing at people to Jesus. What humility is here is saying, listen, I am an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the King. I want you to know Him. I want to serve you so that you see Him, not me, so that He's exalted. And then God, in the right time, will exalt others. But we want Jesus to be worshipped because our name doesn't save anyone. So, we see Jesus here drawing our attention to humility, this mindset. But there's a second thing I want us to notice. And it's this, is that one of the ways we can exhibit humility is in how we pursue people. right? And Jesus, once again, is sitting down with a crowd who is an open, defiant opposition of Him. And yet He's continuing to pursue opportunity for them to repent. He's humble in this. So the question for us is, are we exhibiting humility in who's sitting at our table? Who we're pursuing? Right? Like, who's at our table? Who are we having conversations with? And is there humility in that? Are we only stacking people around us to elevate ourselves? Right? Or are we drawing people in who can do nothing for you? Nothing for your reputation, nothing for your bank account, nothing for your job. That I can't do anything for you, and yet they're welcomed at your table because it is exhibiting the humility and the heart of service that Jesus has already exhibited. Right? That's, that's the question here. And so, first thing, are we showing love and compassion? Are we living by Jesus' kingdom's rules and ideals or not? And we're going we're gonna to just kind of put a comma on that one. Because this, this story, this vignette continues, and we're going to get there next time. All right? That's, that's where we, I want us to at least have that thought bouncing around. The second is this. Is are we showing love to those who disagree with us? Because we live in a culture that likes to fight. Likes to make big, bold statements. Likes to cancel people. And if we're not careful, right, we can just begin to kind of isolate ourselves to echo chambers. And we're only around those who think like us, act like us, talk like us, look like us, spend like us, vote like us. And anyone else makes us uncomfortable until we remove ourselves from them. And yet we see here Jesus saying, sitting and having table fellowship with those who want to kill Him. And here's the thing, they will eventually succeed. And yet Jesus is at the table and would you repent? Would you see the character of God? Would you see my nature? Would you see that I'm the narrow door? This isn't, you don't have to stay on this path. Would you, would you see me rightly and correct, correctly? And he repeatedly is doing this. So what do we need to be reminded of? That everyone in this room is either currently an enemy of God or you once were. That you needed Jesus to sit at your table when you wanted Him dead. Because you wanted to be king of your life. 
when you were a rebel, when you were opposed to Him, and that He was gracious and patient and merciful to you and called you to repentance and said, come and belong at my table. That's been all of our stories. Or it either still is. So we're humble because we were not deserving of the grace and mercy that has been shown to us. Jesus has pursued us. Right? He left heaven, as we saw in Philippians 2. Right? Born of a woman. Born under the law. To come for those who are under the law. Right? Galatians 4. Like he has come for us to take us back to the Father where we could not get on our own. It, this is the Gospel that God is redeeming His creation to Himself who are unable to do it themselves. For His glory and for our good. It is the story of hope and of joy. It is the Gospel. And so Jesus has pursued. And then He sends us out. We are the missionaries now. Listen, we're not waiting for people to walk in that door so we can tell them about Jesus. If we are, we are not obeying Jesus. Because Jesus has said, go. As you're living, as you're parenting, as you're an employee, as you're a boss, as you're spending your money, as you're uh, recreating, as you are enjoying your hobbies, as you're going on vacation, as you're going to funerals, as you're going, like, as you're going, make disciples. Point people to me. Point them to me. Speak of me and the hope that you have in every situation, in every circumstance of life. We're the missionaries. That we should be on our way because we are imaging the character of God who pursued those who were once far from Him to make them sons and daughters. We pursue those who right now may vehemently disagree with us. They hate us. They want to cancel us because we believe that Jesus saved. Right? That He saved. Listen, so maybe even this week you're going to have conversations that could look like this around dinner tables or Christmas parties. So what do we do? We don't make people targets. We say that all the time. But we are at war. And so we go in with intent. Right? There's a spiritual war going on in the, in the king right, currently of this world who has a grip that is being loosened to the king of the universe. Right? We know that there's a war and that He's whispering lies, trying to distract, trying to hold up shiny things to entice us, to ignore that Jesus is the narrow door. And so we pray for our hearts and we pray for theirs. We, we understand and we consider what it is that they are currently saying and what they're really trying to say. And we learn about it. We read about it so that we can engage them in conversation. We pray asking the Lord to save and to soften and prepare hearts for conversation. We understand that we're not the agent of salvation. Jesus is. Through His Word and through His Spirit. And that He utilizes His people in that process. But your winsomeness, your cleverness is not what has ever saved anyone or ever will. God does that. And He graciously allows us to be a part of it. And so we pray for hearts and for attitudes, for words, for approach, to hear the questions they're saying and the questions they're not yet saying, but they're, they're, they're trying to articulate. And so we image the character of God who says you can belong at this table whether you believe yet or not. Right? Because I want you to repent. I want you to respond. We pursue people and we love people 
and we share truth and belonging and we point them to Him. The question is this. For most people, they don't hear the Gospel and respond. Like, I thought of one. I heard Jesus. I love Him. Now everything's good. It's a process. And are we willing to be the first person to say something? Are we willing to be the sixth person to say something? Right? Maybe not always the one who gets to, to be there when they trust Jesus. But that we're moving the ball, right? The, the spiritual ball metaphorically down the line that they are, that Jesus is wooing and pursuing them. Are we willing to be a part of that process? Believing the promises of Scripture. God is with us. He will not leave you nor forsake you even in a hard time. That His Word does not return void. And so even if they don't respond today, it doesn't mean the Word of God is not at work within them. That the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And that Jesus has already told us that heaven is going to be full from people from the north and the south, the east and the west, from every tribe, tongue, nation, place in the world. Right? People are going to believe. We can take hope in that. And so we're going to tell people so that they will trust and love Jesus. And I want you to consider the difference in the way this mill looks in Luke 14 to what Jesus is actually promised. What's happening in this mill? Traps? Pride? Antagonistic behavior? The using of people in their sickness? To, to move forward. All right. as we think about that mill, right? That they're using people for their agenda. But listen to the way the mill was described in Isaiah 25. The mill that we're looking forward to. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. A veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of His people He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. And so, right, people are enjoying a meal and they're not being used. Their, their tears are being wiped away. And He continues. We, we look in Isaiah 55, a, a passage that is beautiful. And it says this, So come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. The one who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to Me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to Me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. He's saying, I've done the work. Come and enjoy the meal. Come and enjoy it. That meal, the one that Jesus has offered, is not what the Pharisees offered in Luke 14. But it's what Jesus is offering us this morning. 
And finally, as you are reminded that you're a part of that meal, that is your hope and your eternity, that we then invite others to it because we love them, even if we currently disagree with them. We love them. And that Jesus is, because He's the one that saves, we believe in the miracle of salvation. That it is war and something spiritual is happening. That God is raising the dead to life. He is taking out cold, stony hearts of sin and replacing them with soft hearts that are stamped with Him. This is not merely winning an argument, right? Winning a conversation. This is a miracle of death to life. And we have hope that He'll do that for those who right now hate Him, who war against Him, and who raise an angry fist to Him. Why? Because earlier in Luke 14, with a man with dropsy, Jesus is just like, hey, you're healed. Jesus is powerful. He has the power of life over death, of sickness, right? Of, of health over sickness. He is doing that throughout Luke and reminding us to go and to draw people who are currently far to know, to love, to trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that when You save, You transform. That Paul went from hating You to being a missionary. That Zacchaeus went from being greedy and stingy to giving back the money. Lord, and then we think of us, of who we were apart from. Lord, and would we long to see friends and co-workers, neighbors, children, parents and cousins, grandparents, Lord, and those that we would look at right now as just enemies in the, in the media or in our community, and we, would we ask, God, would You save them? Not so that we don't have to hate them, God, but that they would know You, trust You, love You. God, would we be humble enough to see ourselves rightly that we needed that same grace and mercy. And that then we would walk in humility towards others who currently, Lord, we're far from. But that we would be the missionary. We would pursue them for their good and for Your glory. Lord, would we be humble pursuers because we have been pursued by the most humble. Lord, we trust You. We need You. And we ask You to speak. In Jesus' name.